You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. We are kicking off the month of March with a new theme. You can find all of the rules and how you guess the theme in our show notes as well as on our social media. Today, we are talking about the 2001 film Bandits, directed by Barry Levinson, who we know from The Natural, Rain Man, Bugsy, and The Diner. It stars Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Kate Blanchett, a very young January Jones, a very young Scout, and Tallulah Willis, Bruce's daughters. And little trivia for you here in the uh, opening. In the opening scene... At the Oregon State Prison, those extras were prisoners. Nice. <laughs> and Billy Bob and Bruce said they were cool. Well, yeah, I mean, there were guards with guns right there. You're probably fairly safe. <laughs> After they filmed it, they asked the warden, so uh, what type of crimes have those <laughs> fellas committed? And she said, oh, all of them. There's murderers in there. and Maybe you should have checked that before. <laughs> so... That's a filmmaking note when casting uh, prisoners as extras. Check their 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 rap sheet, I guess. They both had pleasant things to say. Nobody mugged the, for the camera. And as I watched a clip just a little bit ago, everybody was behaving themselves. So that's really interesting. To those guys task about filmmaking is in a crowd that larger, you get some people favoring in the background. So do you come up with a way to lure those people out of the shot? Like, oh, over here is better lighting. And so all the favros come over there. By the way, <laughs> I'm using favro as a verb. And that relates. We talked about this in an mm-hmm. early episode. Yeah. So go back and find it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the DP was Dante Spinotti. And he also did Last of the Mohicans in 92, Heat in 95, and L.A. Confidential in 97. So good credits under his belt. The writer of this film was Harley Payton. He did Twin Peaks 90 and Friends with Benefits from 2011. Is that the Mila Kunis one? Uh Uh Uh, Okay. Yeah. Let's see. The synopsis for this film is two bank robbers fall in love with the girl they've kidnapped, which I didn't really feel like she was kidnapped. I feel like she invited herself along. She did. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, apparently pretty blondes can invite themselves along anywhere. She was a redhead in this film. Oh, okay. All right. Pretty redheads even better can invite themselves along. (laughs) Uh, the tagline for you is two's company, three's a crime. Clever. Okay. I like okay. it. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So the trivia is the bank robbing technique that these two gentlemen used is, was actually taken from real bank robbers, Eddie Coyle and I think Tom Collins, maybe I believe was his name. And they would take the bank manager and his family hostage the night before, forcing the manager to open the safe the next morning and... And then rob the bank. Right. And that um, is presumably foiled by a certain technique that's mentioned in the film. But are there other things where they have made this no longer a viable bank robbery mechanism? I mean, I won't say how, but I do know that training does occur for managers and and then to share with their families on ways of making to be suspicious of people taking advantage of stuff like this. So right. there is 
at least back in the day, there was training. I know. The other thing that is uh, pertinent to share with the listeners, especially if they were getting any ideas. Yeah. Is that the FBI almost always catches a bank robber. Not only that, I was even shocked to find out that they get very little money. And very lot time. Right? Yes, yes, because it's, yes, it's a felony. It's a federal felony with, what, five, ten years? I mean, it's a lot. It's yeah. longer than I would expect, and they get not much. No, it's like four low four digits, like 2,500, 2,800, yeah. sometimes 3,200, like not worth a felony conviction no, at and, all. And here's the thing, and the FBI almost always catches them. It's, yeah. it's not a hundred years ago when Bonnie and Clyde are driving around in the middle of the country, yeah. robbing banks with abandon. It, it's so, not worth it, everybody. Yeah, it's just, just not worth it. <laughs> just work hard. <laughs> um, all right, kick us off with your pickup line. Joe Blake, Terry Collins, this is Lieutenant McCormick of the Los Angeles Police Department. So I want to say, again, a warning to everybody, I don't care about spoilers in this. So if you haven't watched it, I may spoil you. Mm-hmm. This was an interesting narrative technique to begin with because they establish that they're going to get caught. Mm -hmm. And then later in the film, it looks like they're going to get killed. Right, right. And there is a twist, Mm -hmm. but I thought that was interesting because one of the things that, in my opinion, is key to a heist film is will they or won't they get away with it? And in this case, they're setting up front, no, they're not going to get away with it, but they really do. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of clever. Yeah, Barry Levinson, I just watched this, and he said he purposely did that. He wanted to drop oh, yeah. everybody, but you know, a lot of movies don't start at the end. Let me tell you how this ends. You know? Oh yeah, no, but I was sure he purposely did that for yeah. a very specific reason, but I thought that was an interesting yeah. reason you're, you're thinking. Right. You're technique. giving away, but he felt that now you're interested in these guys' lives by, by seeing the end first. And I, I, I gotta say, I think part of that really is the interaction um, between mm-hmm. Willis and mm-hmm. Thornton that, those two actors made them interesting. Yes, very much so. And so to that end, I just will slip in here that a lot of the ticks that Terry had, Billy Bob's character, uh, Billy Bob said it wasn't hard to <laughs> act that because he has some of those tendencies. He said the fear of antique furniture is his own personal fear. There's actually a word for fear of furniture. Is it specifically older furniture or all furniture? From what I found, the word was for all furniture, including antique furniture. Some people are only afraid of antique furniture, but the word is for all furniture. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the, like the clicks and different things that he would do with his throat. I found this fascinating. It was either Ira or what's the brother's name? Gershwin. The other Gershwin. Ira and... George. Yeah, Ira and George Gershwin, one of them, for two weeks before he died of a brain tumor, he could smell burning feathers. And so that's why he wrote it into the script. The writer wrote it into the script that (laughs) Billy Bob says more than once in the film, do you smell burning feathers? Okay. Do you smell burning feathers? I didn't get the callback. Right. Burning toast would have made more sense for me. But and at one point he does go brain tumor and he points to his own head. So right. he has this fear based on. And he was afraid of all sorts of ailments, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that is true. I felt like the opening scene when we watched it. Now, this is a few years after. I was just like, this is so unlikely. A, I don't think that they would leave the cement truck 
unattended. B, if something from the outside is coming in and out, like a vehicle from the outside or even people from the outside is coming in and out, I would think that the the guards would be, there would be a heightened, uh, you know, attention. But it turns out that, was it Joe's character or the person that Joe is based on did actually try to break out <laughs> with a cement truck. It wasn't Terry Collins that was with him. It was another fella and that fella was shot and killed. Right. So I guess it is somewhat believable that this could happen. Well, there's a couple of things here. Um, I would say I think a key part of this is the, the, the giant cement truck. Right. For two reasons. One, I believe that the prison guards would probably rely on the gate to stop most vehicles. And those things are so heavy. I could see one of them pushing through the gate in a way that any other vehicle wouldn't. And then that big teardrop of concrete behind them would make it hard to shoot them from behind. So it would serve as something of a bulletproof barrier. So perhaps it might work. And we can talk a little bit more about that mixer truck in our auto review. Yes. Okay. Moving on. It completely put me in the era of the 80s, which is funny since this is a 2001 film with the with Bobby Slayton as the host of a television show called Criminals at Large, which was very much based on John Walsh's America's Most Wanted. I found Slayton an interesting cast, and by interesting, I mean odd for that role. <laughs> Maybe that, but but yeah, if you think about him as John Walsh, he's got like John Walsh had like a tan because he was from Florida. Yeah, a ridiculous Hamilton, and the the Italian kind of very stereotypical, you know combed back well yeah. and maybe the gravelly voice but yeah. just slayton to me i know is a comic and that well, absolutely was, that's where i it kind of bumped me right so let's see oh and then the only other thing i was going to say about cinematography is i loved the beautiful west coast sceneries whenever they would be at the beach or a rocky outcropping with the the waves lapping at the sand it it was pleasant to look at right so speaking of cinematography, I thought it was interesting to put the open opening credits over black and white and desaturated diegetic shots of the film. I thought that was interesting. It was a fun visual of the cement truck driving through the backyards of all the houses. <laughs> the overhead. Yeah. And there was a shot where they were discussing exactly how much money they'd need where Harvey, Terry, and Joe were sitting I think it was on the Oregon coast outside of a a rental property and they were three in a line. It just reminded me of the three stooges, Mm -hmm. right? Which is probably not coincidental, Mm -hmm. I would assume. Right. Um, This may be the first film I've ever seen with a Polaroid montage. I thought that was clever. Yeah, you're right. Now that you say that, it's interesting because I kind of, not a Polaroid, but in my first film, I used postcards. I yeah. Thought, and but I also had pictures as kind of an ending credit montage. It was montage. So credit uh I think Levinson was maybe copying me. Copying you. Well, yeah. except for I made mine 16 years after he made his. Well, he had a time machine. <laughs> it's okay. He didn't he didn't go back at I thought of it on my own. Kill I probably, Hitler. Yeah. I probably was influenced by seeing it in other films. I wasn't directly copying a specific film, but I'm I ha- 
I've been watching movies since I can remember. So, of course, I'm going to be influenced. If I recall, uh, an influence when we were shooting it was in the even older movies where they would have like the, the calendar pages come off or the newspapers be tossed down in like different orientations to show time passing. Well, and also it's a very, sh- I mean, to digress on my movie, but we'll get back to this <laughs> bandits. It was a show don't tell in the way that it showed that she went on to have a good life and do fun things and get to see amazing places. So it was a little bit of storytelling even during oh, the credits. I, I liked it. Yeah. I wasn't upset with it. All right, it. we digress. I thought it was funny. Early in the film, Terry comes in to talk to Joe and he, we immediately get the sense that not does he, not only does he hyper focus on an issue, but he's worried about the garlic <laughs> in the food. And and then, you know, it just lets us, so it lets us know that Bruce is kind of a bit of a hothead who has little patience for Terry, but then also Terry's going to spend the rest of the film being a hypochondriac. Right, and neurotic. Right. <laughs> How about writing? What things did you like about the writing? So there is a lot of funny lines between the two of them, right? And I I liked stuff like, why are we stopping here? Because it's where they keep the cash, <laughs> right. right? And <laughs> that's, pro- a, that's such a Bruce Willis line. And one of my favorites, may I please go back to prison? Not yet. Yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> is this a joke? No, ma'am, this is a bank robbery. Yeah. So there is definitely some some funny lines in there. She's mentally imbalanced to a spectacular degree. And Kate is an iceberg waiting for the Titanic. We're, we're good ones. But less funny is um, a really kind of heartfelt line is the Billy Bob character. I think that's Terry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Says, Kate, there are guys who leave and there are guys who get left. I don't think it's any mystery as to which category I fall in. Mm. Right, that was very poignant. But then there's a great line that I think could apply to many people we all encounter in our lives. You're dangerous, you're dense, and you're stupid. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think we all have that, can, can recognize that, that feeling. Right, right. So, I love how we get a little bit of information about Kate in that she's kind of a bit of a bored housewife, I guess. Yeah. She's living vicariously through maybe some of the music that she listens to to kind of step out of herself. And then she just gets so angry and just kind of like breaks so much so that when Billy Bob is in her car and he pulls out the gun, she's not she's like so over life that she's not even afraid of it. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I definitely got the character of Kate as the bored housewife. Mm -hmm. I almost said a local city which is maybe not polite, but there, there's an area around town where we could see her living, somebody driving that car right. and being bored with being like having all the creature comforts. So then to be with these two outlaws and then there's a moment that is very reminiscent and it, it was purposeful of it happened one night. Barry Levinson wanted to have that. And he was trying to figure out, well, we can't put him in two beds. So let's put him in the same bed, but we'll put a blanket between them. So, I mean, immediately, anybody who knows it happened one night or film history, 
you recognize that shot. And Bruce, she says a line from the Bonnie Tyler song and Bruce says the next line and then they go back and forth. And so it's this way of connecting the two of them through this song. And she goes, nobody, I didn't know you would know that song. Like, And then she even says something like, no one ever noticed. Like she feels invisible to her husband. That's interesting because I feel like obviously you have to get the rights for it. So before you do anything, you got to get the rights and you can afford it. But um, I, I feel like Levinson probably had to pick a song that people would know so that that scene would, would play well. But I thought that song would not be surprising for someone to know the words. To me, that would uh, that song is too recognizable for it to be that big of a deal that he knew the words. But she does say, "No one, no one ever noticed me." Like she, she uh, sees, I, she she feels seen at least. Yeah, and I suspect it, it maybe was originally written with a different song that was a little bit more obscure because that would make to me it would land better if it was a more obscure song. Yeah, I'm curious if they shot the scene where she's singing it while she's cooking first. I know for a fact that the scene with the blanket happened on the day of production. That scene was not written in the script. They came up with it with the blanket oh. and everything. And then he Barry wanted them to have some kind of an interplay. And I think, was he going to do like a poem or movie quotes or something? And then he goes, I know. And so maybe they had already shot the scene from the kitchen. I would love to know that. Like, or did they have to shoot the scene so the audience would be like preloaded with those lyrics and that song? It's a great, great one. Or, Or maybe wouldn't it be hilarious if one of the actors thought they were and just started doing it and Barry's like, what, what are you doing? Well, and he's like, oh, th- this would make, this would be a fun, a fun gag. Like if it was just completely improv. It, it is. And I'm going to include this making of, and it's interesting because it talks about pre-production, production and post-production. And they said that when the blanket fell down, that was totally improv. And they, they both kind of went with it and they wrapped themselves up in it and they started talking and then Barry stopped them And they conferred and they kind of like collaborated, the three of them, and then they kind of like shot it again. So, I mean, I just love stuff like that, you know. I see Bonnie Tyler slipping a wad of hundreds to Bruce Willis. (laughs) Hey, use my song. But then, so kind of spoiler, I'm I'm jumping ahead (sighs) to the, not spoiler really, but just of our episode. In editing, I was going to tell you in this making of, they showed that they brought along editing. It looked like the Star Wagons, but it was... Like an editing suite it was in an a ed- trailer? Yes, yes. And so it was the kind, like you a toy hauler, because the whole back like opened up. Right. And so they brought editing to the location so they could, you know, be editing the whole time. So that means... They used the Bonnie Tyler song without having clearance for it first. That's nuts. I know. So risky. Unless they, somebody jumped on the phone, call and see if we can okay. get this. Now I'm getting back to she slipped 500 bucks to Willis to get the song in there. Well, But it's interesting that you mentioned the callback to It Happened One Night, which as film people were like, oh, neat. Yeah. But I don't know if the, the lay person would recognize that because there's another movie reference kind of in here, which I say... As a person who makes films about people who love or make films, it's very meta. We all do it, I guess. But with the um, the guy on top of the car shooting a music video or something when they go by, and then there's the crash, and so he turns around, and, and I thought, 
that it's just kind of so random that they would be on the side of the road with a camera. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe that really did happen. Random things happen. Right. But it just, it, it felt very much, I was like, oh yeah, it's another filmmaker. Totally. Right. Put him in the movie. The You're right. Not everybody might not know the scene from It Happened One Night, but it's almost like that scene works even if you don't know it. Oh so yeah. So it's fine either way. And then for people who do know it, it's like a wink. Yeah. I think it's good filmmaking because yeah, I think it works regardless. And even if people... Don't know it happened one night. They're probably familiar with that trope. Mm-hmm. So I think it worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to be critical of Levinson. Right. I thought it was kind of interesting. And Kate posed it as a interesting menage a trois. Oh. That basically she was interested. And I, I don't know if I got this exactly, but maybe I, if you remember if somebody said something that there were parts of Terry that she liked and parts of Joe that she liked and if you pushed them together, they would make like the perfect man. And so when they all show up in Mexico, it's almost like she kind of, the guys are not willing to share. And so she has to choose. This, um, although I have written down the last scene shows Harvey and Claire getting married in Mexico and Kate kissing Joe and then Terry passionately. Uh, this feels very much like uh, more than one girl I knew in college where they, they just want, to have everybody. And I I didn't like the character because of that. I felt like she was a tease and was unfair to both of them. But in particular, Terry, I felt like it was unfair. I mean, he, he was kind of the sad sack. He knew he was the, the, the loser guy. He was going to lose eventually. So I felt like that was um, cruel on her part to string him along. Well, I think it's very much with that trope that girls really want, some, or I should say, some women want someone like Terry, but after a while they're bored and they want someone like Joe, but they don't want the lack of stability of Joe. They want more the safety of Terry. I I just think that's the same immaturity as any guy that wants to date two girls. One girl who's like the nice girl who can take home to mom and the other one who's the party girl. Uh, I just think, you know, humans are immature and make stupid choices, but it was hard for me to like that character because she's a grown ass woman. She should have enough maturity to understand what Terry would be going through to have that empathy and to to maybe let him down softly, but to just be honest about it. In the costume department, I loved the full purple and silver Elvis suit. Yeah, that that's a good one. And I don't have his name down. That the young special effects guy wrote more. Harvey. And guess what? Harvey's mom is Jane Fonda in real life. Who's that actor again? I know the actor. He's um G- he, Garrity? Yeah, he's Tro- Troy Garrity. I, I know him from the HBO series Ballers. His mom That's is right. is Jane Fonda? Jane Fonda. But when he um auditioned um Barry didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that until right now, so he would have been fine auditioning for my <laughs> films. But now I know. Which is the way he wanted it. He wanted to get the job on his own merits, which I I admire. Uh, totally. I, I get that. And, you know, his mom is pretty polarizing, so I feel sorry for the guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the costume department also got to have fun because these guys wore all different kinds of wigs, hats, facial hair for their disguises. So oh, yeah, they did. that had to be fun. I just have a note here that Kate shows a lot of cleavage in the hotel room with Terry. So I don't remember the specific scene, but it was noteworthy, literally worthy of a note. <laughs> and I think that's almost always good for films. Cleavage never hurts. Cleavage never hurts. Yeah. 
Um, I liked how um, we talked about the total eclipse of the heart, but it was diegetic and, and yeah. or no, it was non-diegetic and then it became diegetic, I think. And it's a good song and yeah. I think it works well in this film, but I come back to how bold was it to film that scene without yeah. having the rights? Man, that's living on the edge. Yeah, I might have to listen to Flying some Flying without a net. Yeah. How about any head trauma? Oh, lots of head trauma. <laughs> So at 39.30, Kate hits Terry with her car and then with the driver's side door when she tries to see if he's okay. <laughs> at one hour nine, uh, Joe and Terry's car is T-boned by the delivery truck. That I'm going to go ahead and assume there was some head trauma in there. That's a pretty violent collision. Then five minutes later, Kate slaps the crap out of Terry to stop his sneezing. Uh, I don't recommend that as a person who sneezes a lot. Please don't slap the crap out of me. And at one forty, one forty, Terry goes numb while dancing with Kate and falls. And I'm going to go ahead and call that head trauma when his head hits the dance floor. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, rather. Okay, I'm pretty sure there was some smooching. Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. There were some smoochins. Kate kisses Joe. And Kate kisses Terry, as we've established, a bit of a tease. <laughs> and then Harvey kisses Claire, the pink boots girl. <gasps> That's right. Wait, so is that January Jones? Yep. Okay. And and she kind of breaks his heart. He well, wants her to go along with him. But then they eventually get together. Oh, at the end? Yeah, I think that's who he marries, right? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the wedding at the end, Harvey marries Claire, the pink boots girl. Yeah, I believe that's the same character. Yeah. Claire and the pink boots girl. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Okay, my bad. Now, your long-awaited driving review. There is a lot of vehicles in this, and I don't know if it's because they were bank robbers, so like costumes, they had a lot of cars that they kept swapping back and forth, or if it was the fact that there was some road trippiness to it, but totally dig it. So first of all, that Mac DM 600 truck, mm -hmm. at one point, when they're running away from the Popo, they go off-roading. They go turn left off the public road down kind of a hill. And I actually think that's possible because construction vehicles, by their very nature, have to operate on unimproved areas where you're doing construction. So I think because it was going downhill, I actually believe that that wasn't hard to do. Plus, it, it was a, a neat, a neat shot, right? And I bet that the guy who got to drive it had a lot of fun. <laughs> How to get it out, though? Well, you have to get it down at the bottom of the hill better be another road. Oh, I see. <laughs> right. So whatever you do, folks, do not reverse through traffic. That was that was not good driving. That was great. Yeah. I have to say the 2001 Chrysler PT Cruiser is not a good choice for a getaway vehicle. It's a gutless wonder. However, <laughs> the 67 Pontiac GTO is a great choice for a getaway car. So good work there. They got better. There's a scene where a teenager has an 83 Land Cruiser. That I think they, they uh, borrow. He's, I think, the one who's making out with the girl in the house that they broke into. And I, I'm not sure I buy that he would have that. That's, uh, it's 18 years old at the time they shot this, but Land Cruiser probably wouldn't be that cheap. I'm not sure about that. But the 72 Suburban makes tons of sense for Har Harvey, the stunt guy, because there'd be a lot of room in the back for his stuff. And it's old enough that it was probably inexpensive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say do not drive mad, but do not drive mad, especially after having several glasses of wine. This film kind of, I think it, it does a poor job there. We have to have a, a conversation with somebody. There's a 71 Jaguar XJ6 in this film that I swear is lime green. It's either lime green or it's forest service green. It is the strangest color. Who would paint a Jag that color and why did you put it in the film? But not important, right? I guess 
the scene I mentioned previously with the cinematographer is on top of his uh, El Camino filming. Well, most cinematographers I don't think can afford <laughs> an El Camino that nice. Right. But it, it's a great for the shot. Awesome advertisement for the crash test safety of that 92 Buick LeSabre, because that car gets hit, obliterated, and they both walk away. So that's, it's a good commercial. I don't know if it's accurate, but, but it's a great commercial. <laughs> Buick should give them some money. And lastly, the 68 Mercedes-Benz 280 SE is a decent choice for a getaway vehicle. So if you're going to go a little bit older, that's okay. I liked, as a general rule, the choice for getaway vehicles. They did a good job. All right. That was quite an extensive driving oh, review. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of cars in this one. <laughs> there was. So we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. <laughs> like I said, this film came out in 2001. The budget was $75 million. It did barely. Nope. It didn't even make it. <laughs> and we haven't even added in uh, marketing. So domestically, it made $41.5 million adjusted for inflation today. That would be like $67 million. And worldwide, it made 71. So it was $4 million shy of, you know, breaking even. It got a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics liked it, I guess, somewhat. They give it a 65% and audiences not as much at 58%. I really enjoyed this movie the first yeah. time we watched it. There was... Maybe a personal reason why it was a little more enjoyable, but it's comes in just over two hours at two hours and three minutes. The rating is PG-13 and Barry intended it to be a rom-com. IMDb categorizes it as comedy crime drama. And when they first were going to make it, when the script first kind of hit the scene, it was going to be an action movie. But when Barry was attached to it, he said, no, I think this is he intended it on being a rom-com. Uh, structurally, I don't think uh, it would qualify, but I love it. Right. I love that he wanted to do that. That was cool. Kate Blanchett was nominated for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Supporting Role and a Featured Actor of the Year at the AFI Awards. And Billy Bob won the Best Actor National Board of Review were the two awards huh. that I found. We watch this on Apple TV, but if you have Tubi, Redbox, Pluto TV, or Freebie, you can watch it with ads if you so choose for free. And let's see. So this is our first film for the month of March. Like I said, you can text or call with your guess of what the theme for March is, 971-245-4148, or you can email me at Chrissy at dodgemediaproductions.com. Never forget. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 